Thank you for downloading the Aging Matters podcast. To find out more about how Transitions Life Care is providing care and comfort for life's changing needs, visit transitionslifecare.org. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Good afternoon to you. I am Jason Kong with the pleasure of being alongside Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson with Transitions Life Care. Mary and Sam, how are you doing this afternoon? Good afternoon. Excited to be here. Excellent. Yes, doing great. I love it. And, uh, you know, hey, we're we're back in the saddle again and enjoying things. And we're going to have uh, two guys who are friends of the show. I'm, I'm elevating them to friend of the show status because <laughs> they've, they've been on uh, with us enough. And uh, that is Hank Strauss and Rick Igo. And they are co-owners of Elder Matters. And we're going to discuss, um, you know, the the challenges of family conversations, but why they are so crucial. Hank and Rick, thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you. Great. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. You know, this has been such a hot topic lately, and due to COVID, I think more and more families are having to have these tough conversations, and unfortunately, not always in person. I know, Sam, we've been kind of doing this yes. in our role at work, and it's been it's been very hard on so many. Yeah, challenging, definitely, to say the least. Um, we even went through this personally when my grandmother was recently hospitalized with COVID, and, and you know, kind oh. of became an oh no situation where we realized at 92 she really didn't have a lot of the documents together that we needed so i had to help walk my family through a lot of that so definitely hank and rick can you start us off what is elder mediation how can you explain to our listeners what is it hank you want to take that well okay um your situation with your your grandmother is a perfect example Mm -hmm. of one of the roles that we hope to play with families and that is having a crucial conversation before there's a crisis, such as the one that your grandmother has gone through. So that when something like that happens, uh, everybody kind of knows what their role is and what the desires of the elder are, so that it makes that next step just that much easier. And so we do that by, by convening all of the stakeholders in a family to a conversation where these issues are addressed. And that's the ideal situation. Normally what we face are uh, discussions that happen over a crisis that has already occurred. Those are also very crucial and it's really important to have that communication work successfully. And as a third, we act as third person neutrals. All we do really is try to facilitate these very difficult conversations. Absolutely. That's right. And just just to add, we don't we're not there to to tell people what to do, but we're there to help them have that conversation to make their own decisions. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about getting families together to have these conversations, who should be attending those? You know, I, I know on my dad's side, for example, he's got more siblings. So is there such a thing as too many cooks in the kitchen when it comes to having those crucial conversations? I would, this is Rick, and I I would say um, it's situational, but 
in most cases, the, the people who need to be involved need to be involved. If, if, it's, mm-hmm. if it makes the conversation more difficult because there's so many people there, well, it's a necess- if they're necessary to the conversation, they, they really need to be part of it. We, say, yeah, we, we, we hope that all stakeholders take part. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I've had some of these conversations myself and with family members. And, you know, sometimes these calls and especially during COVID when they're virtual can be quite awkward. Um, you know, we've, I've sat on a few calls where there's just so many people in the room and you're all looking at a camera. And um, where do you begin with these tough conversations? And is there an agenda or what are some tips and tricks that you have for having virtual conversations? Um, should, well, I, should I start on this? No, you go ahead. Uh, yeah, well, I think, what, uh, okay, well, I think um, uh, what I'll do is lay the preface, which is that what we do is a lot of background work prior to having that conversation, where we interview privately every stakeholder and get an idea of what their issues are and what they would like to talk about. And we do that with, without attribution. So once we put everything together, nobody's issues are identified with that particular person. And that takes quite a while. And then one of us who does that, then both of us get together and we uh, put together all that data and, and set up an agenda. And that agenda is circulated to all the stakeholders for them to review and to approve. And that's all done prior to getting together, whether virtually or not, so that everybody kind of knows what they're going to be talking about. The challenges of, of a, um, yeah, please. Well, I just wanted to add that that, that's our process. If you were, if you were working with us, if you're doing this on your own, uh, I think it's, uh, it's critical to have an agenda because otherwise, like any kind of meeting, it it can go, you may not get to where you need to go. So I I think in answer to the the shorter question, it's always good to have an agenda for any kind of uh, meeting, whether in person or remote. Absolutely. So, so. so um, the the extra one of the things that we do ordinarily that add, that that COVID adds another dimension to is that we try to have our um, convenees set ground rules, and and with COVID there are some extra ones because it's you know it's it takes a lot more patience and um, there are added difficulties that don't necessarily come across in a person-to-person meeting. Definitely. So I know, you know, we've been talking about trying to facilitate some of these conversations and kind of some tips on how to do those without a mediator. But I know personally, you know, I love my family very dearly, but we don't always agree on things. We all have very different opinions and, you know, ideas on how things should be done. So when is the best time, do you think, to bring in a mediator to help facilitate? Maybe how could you introduce that to the family in a non-confrontational way? Rick, I would say, and uh, I'm, I'm on it. I'm on it, Hank. Yeah, this is Rick. Okay. I, I would say, um, well, if you're in that situation where you're having difficulty having the conversation, which may not be the case, and you know, we all have. Sometimes it's easy to speak with family, and sometimes it's not. But if you're finding it difficult to have that conversation that you need to have, or conversations, um, then you can you can bring up the possibility of having a third party neutral or a mediator um, help the family facilitate the discussion. It can be very helpful 
we are going to suggest at some point that when you do a virtual meeting, somebody has to be the host. That can be difficult uh, when you're working with a family because somebody will say, well, maybe why are you the host, so on mm -hmm. and so forth. Um, if you have the third party involved to be the host, that takes that stigma away, and they can help direct the conversation better that way. So that might be a good way to go about it, just to say as a practical matter, um, these, these meetings, especially remote meetings, can be very difficult. Um, it could be helpful for us to bring in somebody who's familiar with the format and can act as host and help us have a, a, a more reasonable, rational conversation. I think the other thing is that, that, what, that a mediation allows everybody to have a voice and, and a lot of times there are members who may not feel like that they do, but uh, the process does allow everybody, including the elder, to um, express themselves. And that, that can be very helpful. Yeah, good point, Hank. Definitely. You, you talked a little bit about a host and, it, you know, there seems like there's roles in these conversations that people take on. I know that it, um, for some that's a helper role. Um, for some, they like to be in the finance position or do more of the logistical things. Um, what kind of roles do you define these roles in these meetings? And um, do you plan those ahead of time or do you actually call them out? Or is it kind of an unknown thing that, that, that these people play these different roles in, in the stakeholders? Um, you know, every family has its own dynamics, and we try to learn as much as we can about about those dynamics. But um, it's not our job to call anybody out. We try to honor the process, and we do, as I say, we do try to have the group agree to ground rules. So, for example, we ask if the group would like for us to point out if someone is interrupting someone else. If there's an agreement, we will um, gently point out that someone else is speaking, that sort of thing. But we're not, we're not judges. We're not there to, to um, seek order. We do all we can just to facilitate a, a good conversation. And, and maybe also an answer to that question, if, if somebody is working with us, we will have had extensive interviews with the stakeholders and we will understand if, if one person one member of the family has particular interest in financial matters we'll know that and that becomes part of the agenda and then part of our job is to be sure that they get a chance to express their concerns to the rest of the group so on and so forth so that's one way that uh, we work things out when we're involved I, again i going back to having a family do this without the help of a third party neutral i would strongly suggest you you designate somebody to be in charge of the, of the meeting the remote meeting and uh also you have an agenda so you know what you want to cover uh and you don't get off on tangents that don't permit you to discuss the important things those are some great tips yeah, oh, uh, that, no, that's okay. Thank you guys both so much. Those are some really wonderful tips, and I think uh, some methods that'll help out our listeners who may be dealing with some of those crucial family conversations at a time where we can't all get together. We uh, have enjoyed speaking with Hank Strauss and Rick Igo. They are co-owners of Elder Matters. You can find more about them online at eldermatters.org. Eldermatters. .org. A quick break and back with more. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you. A service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. 
This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Hey, don't forget, you can always find more about Transitions Life Care online at transitionslifecare.org, transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson, and uh, we're now going to switch topics and discuss uh, buying or renting in a retirement community. And to do that, we've brought on Danielle Weeks. And Danielle is is a broker and owner of Next Home Turnkey Realty. Danielle, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Hey, Danielle. Thanks so much again for being here today. So I know for me, I live in the Clayton area, some of you all know, and we've really been seeing a lot of new neighborhoods obviously popping up everywhere. And it seems like a lot of those neighborhoods, they've been adding on 55 and older retirement communities. Um, So I've definitely got some interest in this. Uh, So can you talk to us first before we kind of dive into it a little bit about the differences or the benefits on renting versus buying? Yeah, I mean, it all comes down to the individual. Um, you know, you've, you've got to ask yourself a series of questions um, to to determine what direction you're going to go in. So, you know, there's a lot of factors involved in this decision. Um, some of the questions someone can ask themselves, is, you know, what kind of environment do they envision themselves in? What kind of lifestyle they're looking for? And then probably the bigger question is, what can they afford? And that is really going to determine whether they're going to look more for a rental model versus looking at purchasing a home in a 55-plus community. And there are certainly many options, uh, you know, depending on what direction they go in. That's a really good point. When when you talk about buying into these communities, um, I know that there's probably some fear in that. Um, You know, with a rental, there's maybe a deposit that goes down. I know that when I was renting, that was definitely a thing. And you have to think about what does the initial cost look like? And um, what does that really mean when you're buying into a community? Um, What does that initial cost look like, renting versus these 55 and over communities? So the rental communities, they operate you know, very similar to, a, you know, a regular apartment that you would rent. Typically, there is a, a community move-in fee or maybe first month deposit, um, you know, similar to the first month's rent versus when you're, when you're buying into a 55-plus community, you're purchasing a home, uh, you're obviously going to pay some sort of capital contribution fee, uh, which goes towards maintaining all those beautiful amenities that you have. And then, of course, If you're purchasing a home, you've got your due diligence and earnest money deposits. Absolutely. You said amenities. I love amenities. Mm -hmm, Me too. (laughs) What what kind of amenities are we talking about? What what do these communities bring you? Do we have a pool for the summer? Um, Is there dog parks? Can you have dogs? Uh, What kind of amenities are are we talking about here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, most of the senior apartments, they've got... Um, you know, pet, uh, pet-friendly pet environments. Um, they've got some amenities, and it's all going to, you know, range depending on the price. But, you know, a lot of them have pools and gyms and movie theaters. And then if you're going to purchase in a 55-plus community, I mean, they have these grandiose clubhouses and tennis, indoor, outdoor pools. It really ranges depending on what price point you're looking at. Obviously, the most expensive communities are going to have the most 
luxurious amenities. Wow, those all sound excellent. I know a pool is a big thing for me. And obviously, like Mary, my dog is a non-negotiable. He's got to come with me. <laughs> so what details? Um, are, <laughs> I know there's a lot of demand for homes and retirement communities right now. You know, I've talked about how they're popping up everywhere in my area. So when is the right time to start looking? Is the market more seasonal? No, I mean, the time to start looking is, is now. Um, what, what I'm finding in this marketplace is the lack of availability. They just can't keep up with the demand, and so you may have to go ahead and buy a lot and then wait for the builder to build your home. So we're talking, I mean, it could be a six-month process. Um, and the homes that are currently available on the market you know, with such limited inventory, we're seeing multiple offers, bidding wars, um, you know, it's basic supply and demand. So um, I always tell people, be proactive. It might take a while to determine, you know, what neighborhood is best for you. Um, it could be, you know, a long process. Mm-hmm. You bring up a really good point with with the long process and you, starting early is a probably a really good thing. So what are some first steps that people should consider when deciding to buy into um, a community or should they be renting first and maybe trying out an area um, to see if it fits them or um, how do you, quote, leave home um, and find a new home and, and start that process? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not opposed to, you know, rent first in an area, especially for folks that are relocating here. We're seeing mm-hmm. a huge amount of people relocating here to be closer to their children and grandchildren, and they might want to get a feel for the area. And so, absolutely, that, that might be a great idea to rent first and really get to know what part of town, you know, you want to be in. Um, you know, you're moving twice. But it's also a big decision, you know, especially if you are going to go the purchase route versus renting. Absolutely. So when we talk about buying into a home as well, are there any restrictions that maybe you're different in a 55 and up community that could hurt you in the long run um, on resale value? Um, I'm not seeing that in the market. The resale value is very good just because there's a demand. Um, I mean, some of the restrictions, obviously, at least one person in the household needs to be uh, 55 or older. Mm -hmm. And and then we're also seeing some neighborhoods pop up. There's one specifically in in Clayton Mm -hmm. that it's not age-restricted. They just market to 55 plus. Mm. So what you're seeing is a, na- a more diverse neighborhood. So the homes are kind of built to cater to the 55 plus. You know, you're going to see a lot of ranch floor plans, but you're going to see families. And um, I think this is a great concept because now families can have their grandparents um, or the parents Definitely. living in the same neighborhood. Yeah, that's a huge benefit. You know, with some of these communities, is there an agent that will help you or is there a benefit of going in with your own agent or a real estate attorney to assist in kind of making these decisions to move into one of these communities? And I'm sure there's some contracts that you go through and and setting up um, and putting down initial deposits and things like that. Can you talk to us a little bit about the process? Yeah. So if if people are interested in the rental model, there are um, several professionals that I personally work with that will help kind of guide people in making that decision. Um, They'll help tour the communities and um, their fee actually gets paid by the community, a placement fee. So there's no cost to the consumer. 
Um, and then in terms of uh, if you're purchasing a property, you know, many of these, if it's a new construction, 55 plus community, they do have sales people on site. Those sales people represent the builder. And so it's always in a person's best interest to hire their own realtor. We actually get paid by the builder um, so that the consumer is not paying us directly. And, you know, we can help guide them through um, making offers, um, making this decision and kind of laying out all the pros and cons of the neighborhood and doing a lot of the footwork and making it a less stressful process altogether. That's good to hear. It sounds like you guys are a great guide for, you know, starting this journey and helping people find the right community. Um, what are some details that people should look for when searching for a community? What, what things should they have their eye out for, ask questions? Are there specific things they should ask when visiting communities? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, if, if someone, it, it all depends what they're interested in. If someone is, you know, a really social person, you know, that's very important to ask what kind of social activities. Some of the neighborhoods have activity directors. And, I mean, they have a full calendar of social events and activities going on. And maybe for some people that's not as important and maybe they're okay with, um, you know, being a little bit more solitary or, having some more informal social activities being planned by their neighbors. Um, also, what are the monthly HOA fees? Because those vary. And, you know, one of the benefits of moving into a 55-plus community is having lower maintenance. So what does that look like? You know, make sure they're taking care of the lawn. Is there anything on the exterior of the home that the HOA covers, like the roof, that sort of thing? Yeah, those are all some great tips. Thank you so much, Danielle Weeks. She is a broker and owner of Next Home Turnkey Realty. You can find more about her online at nexthometurnkey.com, nexthometurnkey.com. A quick break and back with more. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson, and now we're going to turn our focus to social security. This is a, uh, a confusing topic to say the least. There's plenty of misinformation out there when it comes to social security. So uh, we've enlisted the help of Brian Ritchie. He's a financial insurance services advisor and we appreciate you joining us today, Brian. Well, thank you very much, Greg. I really appreciate the opportunity to share. And I'm really excited to be with you and your audience uh, looking forward to helping you with Social Security and the options and any questions they may have. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Brian. You know, for so many seniors, Social Security is a huge role in retirement, um, but there's a lot of confusion around it, around it. Can you start off by talking to us, what is Social Security? Sure, I, I'd be happy to do that. But I'd like to share a story just for a moment on how complicated Social Security is, as Greg mentioned. 
Uh, there's a client of mine who was 62 years of young age, and she had decided she was going to retire at 62. When we looked at her assets and all the options that she had, we decided, and she decided, that we decided together that it was far better for her to wait, and in doing so, she would be able to get her full retirement payment out, which we'll talk about in just a minute. She was really pleased. That means she kept thousands of dollars and saved a lot in her taxes. So now, when we talk about Social Security, it's really a government-mandated insurance plan just to pay for your retirement. It's a payroll tax on paychecks of employees, and there's contributions from employers, and that funds Social Security and mandates programs, those Medicare programs. Great. So you mentioned um, the client you worked with. Uh, so how does one find out when they're eligible for, for Social Security? Uh, what are Social Security's three requirements? Well, the three requirements for Social Security are, number one, you need to be at least 62 years of age. Mm -hmm. uh, number two, you need to have worked a minimum of 40 calendar quarters, which basically is 10 working years. And the third thing is you need to be a U.S. citizen or a lawful present, uh, Sam, within the United States. Great. So how would one also know what amount they're going to receive? What's best for their situation? Well, that's a great question, and I failed to mention one other point uh, on there, and that, Mary, and that, and Sam, that is that with family benefits, you might be eligible uh, with your personal work history, so you could check and see in the benefits of your history with family members and the spouse or parents. Uh, that also can give you an opportunity for Social Security benefits as well. Now, answering your question in regarding um, what's uh, your best situation, mm -hmm. um, it's really your health. Um, how you how you keep you save your money? It has to do with uh, many other factors as far as your age. It also determines upon um, what you have saved as far as assets are concerned to see when Social Security would be best suited for you, as summarized by the 62 young lady that we just spoke of a moment ago. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people are trying to retire early, and you know, if I'm trying to start vacationing and and plan, I'm trying to plan now to make sure that I'm able to do those things. How do you calculate what you need to live on um, based on your life expectancy, the Europe trip that I want, and <laughs> the variety of other things that that are ahead in, in retirement? Sure. Well, that's a great question, and really, when you look at the calculations, you can go to. Uh, www.ss.gov, and you, there's a calculator that will actually identify for you based on your age from 62 up to 70 what you'll be determined, and it's based upon the number of years you've worked. For example, 35 years is generally a maximum that evolve, uh, once those, but at least you can do at least 10 years of having those quarters. You divide that by 12, and then you'll know what your average monthly payment will be. And that, as I mentioned, there also is that Social Security calculator on SS.gov that will show that for you, too. As far as life expectancy that you mentioned, um, currently that's a, a thing in history of your family. Mm -hmm. If your family history has been good uh, all along, you don't have concerns with diabetes or cancer or things of that nature or Hodgkin's disease, some of those ADLs that are there, then you're in a place where you're probably going to have a much longer life expectancy. Uh, right now, just as an example, that's 81.1 years is the average for a woman and 76.2 for a man. So when you're looking and planning those trips and those fun things for your future, <laughs> uh, 
kind of think about all of those, and I think you'll feel more comfortable, and you'll be happy with what you've seen. That's good. It sounds like I can uh, start planning now for a couple trips. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a great, 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 great way to go. Good. So what choices do I have when I retire? What, what are we looking at here? Well, you know, as I mentioned earlier, uh, your ages go from 62 up to 70. Uh, and any age beyond 62 will allow this. Uh, one of the things you have to be concerned with, though, at 62, you're not doing your full retirement age, which I'll touch in just a second. But generally speaking, at 62, you're going to have a decrease of about 25% of the amount of money if you waited your full retirement age, which currently is 66 plus of so many months. Uh, they make a determination based on your age level. Um, if you go from uh, 1954 to 59, it's 66. After 1959, it becomes 67. And prior to that, from anyone that was born from 1943 to 54, it's 66 plus so many months, which is your birth date at that time. So in doing so, you, you can make it at any time you want. There are a lot of people who do it at 65, but it's, they, that's about a 12% decrease over going to uh, the age of your full retirement age. And on the other hand, if you go further in your full retirement age, then you would even gain more. Very good, very good. Um, so how will I know that the amount that I'm receiving is what's best for my situation? You know, we've talked a lot about these factors of, you know, the age and my life expectancy, and how do I know that what I'm getting is, is okay? Well, that's a great question, and there's a lot of variables. You know, Social Security seems to be a real basic function for everyone, but really it's very complicated. Mm -hmm. So you have to look at all the variables involved with this. This can have anything to do from the history of your family to the salary you make to the length of time that you're working. Each of those concerns are going to, as well as your health concerns, all of those things have quite a determination as to when you want to go and set up for Social Security. Very good. Sam, I hope our boss isn't listening to this. Yes, that's <laughs> <laughs> He's going to be disappointed in all my plans to retire We're early. early. <laughs> <laughs> it's never too soon to start playing, definitely, as you've talked about. Um, I know another question a lot of people have, too, are, is their Social Security benefits going to be taxed? Yeah, that's a great point. And before I mention that, I should have mentioned one other point, mm -hmm. and that is at 70, if you can delay, based on the factors I mentioned to you before, you can gain nearly a third more money than you can at 62. Wow. So if you're in that place where you've gone and done such a great job and you're working and you set your assets in place, uh, you, you can find yourself tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars further ahead. Wow. So and to answer your question about taxes, as far as taxes are concerned, it basically taxes uh, are going to be predicated on uh, what they call a tax torpedo. And a tax torpedo is where a single person who earns beyond $34,000, the next dollar on after that is taxed at 85 cents on the dollar, which is really surprising. Most people mm -hmm. have never heard of that. Uh, if you're married and you earn over $44,000, that 85 cents tax comes in on Social Security, not on your regular income, but on your Social Security payment. Uh, another point would be... Um, if your income drops after you retire uh, with your taxes. So you look at your particular tax situation, 
to see if you have a better sense of how your taxes are going to play out with Social Security. So to wait on payments, it could save you plenty of money. Uh, another thing is uh, with that is that uh, if you have a great income, which is over 137700 each year the government sets them out together, then you will be getting in a reduction in your Social Security taxes. Mm. Finally, if you work for government, uh, public employees, utilities, a lot of those, they don't take any taxes out and so you don't receive any Social Security taxes. And I've had a number of people that are, especially in the federal government, with their TSP plans and the like, that we have gone out and found different types of variables for them and options for them so that they can indeed have money set up for Social Security. Wonderful. So it sounds like start planning early, take it out late. Is there any other tips that you can provide us or in the listeners on planning ahead for Social Security? I think the biggest thing is that this is an individual situation mm -hmm. and each variable, each condition is going to be based upon so many factors that we've touched on and many, many more. Therefore, to answer your question that you want to stay healthy, stay strong, um, work as long as you can, continually improve yourself in your years and, and rather than doing what you want, make yourself a point of saying, you know, 10% I'm going to save toward retirement. We'll talk about that in another show, but the idea behind it is you don't have to always have what you want. You can just have what you need. And in doing so, your Social Security will be the very best for you. Those are some great tips. Brian, Richie, thank you so much for sharing those with us today. Brian is a financial insurance services advisor, and you can find more about him online at readyfinancialcapital.com, readyfinancialcapital.com. Com. A quick break and back with more. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson. And Mary and Sam... You know, uh, clearly we all have some quarantine fatigue with the mm, coronavirus yes. pandemic and, you know, uh, great news about the vaccine. But that almost creates a higher level of anxiety as, you know, uh, those who are eligible to sign up and get their vaccine. Um, you know, it's uh, it's been a challenge to get into your spot, but, um, you know, there is hope on the way that we can get vaccinated and turn the corner on this. But uh, I know the two of you wanted to share some tips for those who may be still going a little bit stir crazy in quarantine. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know about y'all, but I am so tired of quarantine. Yeah. And <laughs> we're coming off the holidays where they might not have been what we would have imagined. Definitely. And it's been very difficult. You know, I wasn't able to see my family. Sam, I know that you've mm -hmm. had a pretty similar situation. Yes. 
So, you know, we've lost the sense of normalcy. And I think that this vaccine is, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel, but there's ways that maybe we can help with some of the uneasiness before we get there. Definitely. Um, Sam, you've been taking skull. Sam, for y'all that don't know, <laughs> has a dog that wears sunglasses. He has doggles, yes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> he has um, a very special eye disease where he has to wear sunglasses in the sun. So, um, you know, that's one thing I do a lot, my husband and I do, to, to kind of just take some time to get out of the house you know he teaches so he's been teaching from home recently uh, so whenever it's nice out you know we've been blessed with some mild weather this winter so we try to take him out for walks around the neighborhood just getting outside you know moving is really important I'm to brag on myself I've <laughs> this is probably the most consistent I've ever been with working out uh pretty much because I have nothing else to do but you know it's a really great time where I can take 30 minutes to just not think about anything that's going on in the world right now. And that's been huge for my mental health as well. Absolutely. I think that's something I can reiterate, taking that 30 minutes to just take a nice stroll outside or get a breath of fresh air. You know, it helps clear your head and get energized and and kind of ease some of that um, frustration yes. and, and uh, uneasiness. Um, you know, something I've been doing is really watching what I eat. Yes. Uh, I know in February, we're going to talk a little bit about heart health. We have a nutritionist that's coming on to talk about a balanced diet. Um, but I stress eat. Um, Same. <laughs> <laughs> all the chocolate, the ice cream. Um, but taking a little turn in the new year and pivoting, my favorite mm-hmm. word uh, during this quarantine, um, and pivoting and really making sure I'm drinking enough water, you know, that has been the simplest change for me in the last couple of weeks. And I have felt the difference in drinking enough water. I I clearly was depriving myself. (laughs) um, But the stress eating has to go. Yes, uh, yes, I totally I can agree with you on that. That's a hard habit to break. Uh, One thing I've been trying to encourage my friends and my family members, you know, I feel like people can get so wrapped up in what's going on in the media and just it can be overload sometimes. Mm -hmm. And while we definitely need to get that info that's out there, I think it's really important to take some time out of your day, put the phones down, Mm -hmm. turn off the news. I know we've all binged everything that's probably on Netflix already. But, you know, like I said, taking time to get outside or just do something different in your day so you're not so focused. I had to do that early on for my mental health or mm-hmm. otherwise I can be a bit of a worry wart. So I, I knew it was going to be huge for me to kind of filter my media intake during all of this. I think that's a great point, especially coming off this last week. And yes. um, I, I think that if you are going to use media, then set up a time to regular, regularly connect with your family and your loved ones. Um, so maybe schedule a weekly routine and being able to have something to look forward to, like a phone call on Sunday afternoons or a video chat yes. with um, your children. I know that my grandfather and I have set up these chats and they've become a little more frequent lately um, as we are both getting very <laughs> tired of quarantine. Yes. Um, but we, we have set up regular times to talk on the phone. And, you know, while we talk every week on the phone, we set up like a monthly Zoom call and, and see each other over the video, which has been very nice to stay connected connected. You know, he's 94 and and has been kind of isolated in in his room during quarantine. And he just got his vaccine on Monday. So we're very excited about that. Um, But, you know, there's so many that are still in line for the vaccine. Definitely. I think that can create a lot of stress. So maybe setting up a weekly call if you are going to use your phone or or stay connected on technology, setting up a, a routine 
to connect with your loved ones. Absolutely. And I think that's so important for our loved ones who are isolated right now, like your grandfather and my grandmothers, you know, they've both been at home. So I've definitely been trying to keep in contact with her more frequently than probably I, I would ever am a little ashamed to admit. But I know right now it's so important for her because she's such a social creature mm-hmm. that she's really missing a lot of that interaction she had pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that I, I do regular therapy. I think it's you know, perfectly normal and a great thing for people to do. And something that I've been talking a lot about is mindfulness Mm. and setting aside time to just breathe and sit quietly um, and kind of erase your head of all of the things that are going on around you and and be aware of just yourself and um, and the space that you're in and um, appreciate that space and know that there's a lot going on in this world and there's so many people that you're not alone in what you're feeling. And I think that that's been really hard for me to understand and, and to kind of grasp. But I think that actually being mindful um, and purposefully breathing and sitting quietly um, and focusing on something like a sound or an image mm-hmm. or um, something in the future that you can look forward to, it really has helped me feel balanced and sleep better, actually. Yes. I took the TV out of my room Great idea. I moved it to the basement a couple weeks ago, and I am telling you, I am sleeping so much better. It makes a huge difference. It makes a huge difference. I myself, I either try to read or something before bedtime. Uh, Now, sometimes I don't suggest if you have a really good book, because if you're like me, you'll stay up all night reading, but it is a a better way to kind of ease yourself in. And you mentioned some of those, like taking time to maybe meditate or just take some deep breaths. There's some really great apps out there that Mm -hmm. people can download or even websites with video links uh, that folks can look into too if you're interested in something like that that can help guide you because I know I have a bit of a restless mind I'm kind of always always thinking always churning about Mm -hmm. something so I definitely need something to guide me along that so those are some great options for folks too if they're interested yes I've I'm a regular headspace user which is an app on your iPhone you can also get on your iPad um, and it helps guide me through some Mm -hmm. meditation that's very helpful Um, I thought when someone said meditation at first I thought you're crazy I cannot, yeah. I cannot sit by myself <laughs> and my thoughts, um, but it has been a huge help. Um, you know, one other thing I've been doing is I got a KitchenAid mixer for Christmas, mm. and I have been cooking like crazy. Yes. Um, I, I might put on some pounds during quarantine, but I have loved making pasta by, by hand. Oh. Um, and so I've been more celebratory at mealtime, which has been, you know, coming off the holidays where everyone cherishes these like food traditions and, and big meals. And um, so I've kind of been realigning that tradition and missing that those big meals and family celebrations and still celebrating at a mealtime. Yes. Like, putting a lot of thought and energy into what I eat, making sure it's healthy. Um, you know, while po- making pasta has been such a um, extravagant thing, it takes forever. Um, but it's worth it in the end, though. It's worth it, and you and you feel when you're done with it, and you and you've eaten dinner, even though it's by myself and with my two dogs. I feel like I've put a lot of energy and effort, and I really cherish the the time I've spent on it, and it, it's just much more um, gratifying. You know, absolutely. We've been trying out some new recipes ourself and it's been it's been fun to kind of experiments you know where we have a little bit more time to do that now where we yeah. were before you know we've been trying to decrease the amount of takeout and <laughs> delivery food so it's been kind of fun to to experiment that way in the kitchen yeah I've, I've been taking out a few of my um, favorite family recipes too yeah you know, my grandmother's apple pie I don't I could eat a lot of apple pie <laughs> yes and that, that's a great thing too that you mentioned I did that every year for Christmas I always 
bake my Nana's famous ginger snaps. Yeah. Uh, so that was a great way for me, even though, you know, I wasn't really able to hand them out this year like yeah. I wanted to, but it still helped me feel connected to my family uh, during this time, even though the holidays weren't really normal this year. Um, it still, you know, made me, made me have a little bit of normalcy. Absolutely. So for all of you, take some regular time, connect with your loved ones, set up a call, celebrate with a mealtime, cook an old recipe, Mm -hmm. really cherish those moments in your kitchen, eat right, balanced diet, drink a lot of water. You wouldn't believe the difference it makes. Start an exercise habit maybe, meditate, take a walk, um, and really think about mindfulness. I can't express it enough and um, yeah. Excellent. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to reporting back to the WPTF audience on some homemade pasta, yes. some homemade ginger <laughs> yes, snaps, Mary. and some apple pie. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not going to set a deadline or anything like that, but I'm, I'm very much looking forward to reporting back to the audience on those. But seriously, thank you both so much for those wonderful suggestions. And um, you know, let's let's make the best of the last leg here of quarantine. As uh, you know, we have time to do things and to experiment and to see what we can do to improve our own mental health. We are out of time for today. I want to thank our guests so much. On behalf of Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson, I am Jason Kong, and we hope you will join us again next Saturday at 4 for Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.